Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and good morning to you. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty, pretty well. And today's topic, we're just going to jump straight into it because we haven't talked about this topic in a while, which is cryptocurrency slash Bitcoin mm-hmm. slash web stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> let's 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 open the platform. So today is is going to be very focused on that. And I'm, I'm very curious to learn more about the computer industry. Uh, I'm fairly OK with it just, for, you know, front out, but I'm still struggling with some of the concepts. So. If you can, the floor is yours, Sean. What are we talking about today? Um, so we were going to talk about Web3 and Web5. Um, and to start with, I think we could quickly go all the way back to what is Web1 and Web2. Um, okay. I didn't know we had five of them. So that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> okay. In a way, so as a joke they kind of skipped number four but we'll get there Um, (laughs) (laughs) what happened to four no one likes number four (laughs) all right all right so uh what is web one web two because i thought web three and and this is just my very ignorant way of thinking i thought web three was like www you know how there's three w's so web you know it begins with the letter w and three so three w's yeah so uh that that's totally wrong and so what is web one web two going back um so going back you know the back in the day the internet was invented people were uh starting to go on web browsers and go on websites and you know um and you initially you would go on a website you could just see what was there there was words and pictures and that was it you might be able to download a file okay um but in the sort of early to mid aughts uh people started making websites where you could actually modify the website something like wikipedia or you know how you go into uh uh, an email website like gmail Uh you can edit your emails in the browser you can interact the page is interactive and so people started calling that web 2.0 Okay, so hold on. With Web 2.0, the thing that really pops out right now is, you know how MySpace was a thing way back when, mm-hmm. right? And you're able to change the theme of your MySpace by inputting these codes, or you're able to add like a MIDI player or a, mm-hmm. a animation. Is that Web 2.0 or is that Web 3? I think that's getting to Web 2.0, yeah. That's, that's Web 2.0? Okay, yeah. all right. So it's just being able to edit a website that or a domain that you you have registered and be able to manipulate and just make it look better. That's web 2.0. Yep. Having okay. it be interactive, like interactive. You go in there, you can comment what's on the website. You can comment ah, things okay. like that. It okay. Becomes, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so web three is then what? Because so, I'm looking at YouTube. YouTube seems to be based on that definition. YouTube is like web 2.0 plus or mm-hmm. something, you know? Yeah. So, so what's Web three? So before we get to Web three, we could in in the timeline, okay. we might want to mention the invention of Bitcoin, oh. um, which we've talked about before. And Bitcoin, what's interesting about it from 
sort of an internet perspective is the fact that it's this decentralized system mm-hmm. and it's got some interesting properties like censorship resistance if you do a bitcoin transaction it's very hard for the government or some corporation to go and try to undo that mm. um, it's resistant to censorship okay and um it's got some interesting privacy characteristics and a lot of people look at that and immediately start getting ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the early days of Bitcoin on the Bitcoin talk forums, there were a lot of people like, you know, what if we could store data inside the Bitcoin system? What if we could create applications that run inside the Bitcoin system? Mm-hmm. And um, there were all these debates about it. And for the most part, the people who were developing Bitcoin said, no, don't put that stuff inside of Bitcoin. We need to keep it what it is. Uh, you, if, if you keep adding this stuff, you could ruin it. Hmm. And um, on the other side of the camp, they said, okay, well, what if we make our own? What if we split off and start trying to make Bitcoin with different characteristics? Uh, what if we try to make a Bitcoin that incentivizes people to store files? And what if the tokens inside the system would actually pay you for storing other people's files that's kind of an interesting idea Hmm. um and so they started creating these new systems things like ethereum uh there was one called filecoin there was just a variety of different sort of systems that were trying to incorporate these blockchain technologies Mm -hmm. and do new things with with them and eventually um the the they coined the term web3 and there's different definitions of what exactly web3 is uh, some people say web1 was read only web2 you could read and write to the web and then web3 is read write and own so you can actually own things on the web um Okay, so by owning things, what do you, what do you mean? Because now I, I'm getting into that fuzzy area where if I, in Web 2.0, if I wrote like an article, right, mm-hmm. and I signed it under my name, wouldn't that, wouldn't I own that, right? So is this you, a different type of ownership or is this like in Web 3.0, it's like a legit ownership where like how how what's the difference so it's a it's sort of a different type of ownership like okay if you wrote an article and you put your name on it i could go on there and just copy it and remove your name okay and say hey guys i wrote this article okay now if you use cryptography let's say on the on the bitcoin blockchain mm-hmm. you take your article you could do a couple things you could sign the article cryptographically okay. and prove that you are the person who wrote the article. You could also, in the Bitcoin blockchain, you could put a reference to it that says, here is, uh, you know, let's say it's, it's July of 2015. Mm-hmm. Here is a cryptographic reference to my article signed by me. Mm-hmm that shows that i wrote it so if someone else comes along two years later and says i wrote this article you could come back and say aha i have proof that i wrote it 
So it's like a timestamp. Yeah, it's like a timestamp and like a signature. Mm. Uh, so it gives you a variety of tools like that. So doesn't okay. So now we're <laughs> this is gonna go into a realm that I kind of get, which is timestamp. So when you post something online, say on YouTube, for instance, right, mm-hmm. a video, okay, it's timestamp, and that's when you upload it. So if anyone tries to copy the exact same video, let's say five years down the road, you can be like, hey, my video was published on this date right here on youtube it shows the publication date and the video that you have posted five years later is is the exact identical copy you plagiarize me that is in essence what web 3.0 is uh kind of but there's an extra layer which is with that with the example you gave with Uh youtube video you do have to trust youtube make sure they don't take it down and uh-huh. make sure they don't change it for their own purposes, right? If they're trying to plagiarize you, uh-huh. they could just go and change it. Hmm. And would, um, okay, so would Adobe be the same way? Because I know with when you're creating a PDF file, there's also a timestamp, right? And you can actually take a look if you download a PDF file, like a, uh, you know, an article, for instance, a news article, and you look at the PDF timestamp. Is that you? Do we also have to trust Adobe? Uh, in non not manipulating that timestamp yes i believe so okay and so the idea is now it's you know there are entities out there that it's not always a terrible idea to put some trust in them but with cryptography we could actually do things without having to trust anyone you could Mm. sign things that's just provable with mathematics you could timestamp things Mm. the way that's just provable with mathematics Mm. um and so these are the ideas that really contributed to web three. And so what platform uses web three right now? Because we're going into web five, uh, I'm assuming. So web three is like, are we using web three on a daily basis without realizing it? Or what is web three or what, what companies uses web three? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, most of us are not using web three okay. uh ethereum is okay. uses web three um there's a company called steam mm, which i think i've heard of them yeah you may have heard of that that is a sort of web three system for you could publish things like publish videos it gives okay. some of these censorship resistant properties that we've talked about okay um and it has its own token and it can reward people for doing things. Okay. Um, so generally web three technologies are around the sort of cryptocurrency space. So things like mm. Solana, um, Ethereum. Okay. So, so yeah, it's okay. Uh, like it, on Wikipedia, it says web 3.0 incorporates concepts such as decentralization, blockchain technologies, and token-based economics. All right. So if you, when you're bringing those things in, they call it Web3. Now, this is kind of a marketing term. Okay. Um, it, it's a way of trying to explain it and uh, get people excited about it. And it was really uh, promoted by venture capitalists who are creating these new systems and trying to bring people in. Mm. Um, Now, 
some people are critical of this. A lot of the people who wanted these things not to be put into Bitcoin, there's so building all these things into sort of these cryptocurrency systems. Uh, a lot of us don't think that's really the right way to go, including me. Hmm. Um, there, it it causes a lot of wasted effort, wasted computation. Um, it seems like it's just not the most efficient way to build these things. Um, and so there's various critics of Web3. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, he tweeted, I think this was about a year ago. He mm-hmm. tweeted out and said, you don't own Web3. The venture capitalists and their limited partners are the people who actually own Web3. Um, mm-hmm. It will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Mm-hmm. So you can, uh, end quote. So these Web3 ideas can actually just be marketing terms that lack substance. You can call something decentralized, but it's actually not decentralized. You could say someone has ownership of something and then later you come along and take it from them. And it's like, well, wait a minute, but I thought we had this like special cryptographic ownership. How did you take that away? Well, it's because the system actually was not set up that way. There's, there's a certain level of maybe scamminess involved or, or people, I mean, a lot of people, the thing about these, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency technologies is they are not subject to uh, in Bitcoin's case, it's not subject to the law. It's not subject to government. Uh, the A judge cannot pound his gavel and, and make someone give back some Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, the there's no way to go in and, and move the Bitcoin around in the Bitcoin system. Once it's been moved the person who has access to it has to choose to move it back. If they don't, then there's nothing you can do about it, really. Um, and a lot of people, it turns out, if you really ask them, a lot of people do not want that. In a way, in some ways, that's actually bad. In, there we, in some areas of our life, we do want the government to be able to help. Mm-hmm. And we actually do want a lot of our businesses and our economic activities to be subject to the government. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these web three things are trying to pretend they have it both ways. Hmm. Um, and so people, especially in the Bitcoin community have been trying to do some of the things that web three is supposed to do, but to actually build them out in the right way to build them out in a way that's actually going to work and actually going to, deliver on the promises that it's given. So um, this is where Web5 comes along. Jack Dorsey, who I mentioned earlier, he started a company or he he has a company called Square, which he, he changed it to Block. And he began working on some, a variety of different Bitcoin related decentralized computing systems. But he, as a joke, as kind of a joke, but also a big marketing thing, he announced that he was creating Web5 um, and everyone was like, well, what happened to web four? But that's, that's the joke. Um, okay. and they are building out a set of, they're, they're actually kind of building it from the ground up with the help 
of uh, a variety of different companies actually coordinating to make open protocols that they can share. So thing, one of the fundamental ones is decentralized identification, where you can have a cryptographic identity that you can carry around the internet and use in different places. And they have created standardized ways that different applications can work with your decentralized identity. Hmm. And so a lot of this has to do with um, your privacy and your ownership of your data, you know? So we've talked about like when back in web 2.0 sort of before web three, one of the things that people were getting excited about was this idea of the cloud. Um, And the cloud is essentially it's, it's just servers in a data center. And it's essentially, you can think of Facebook as sort of running in the cloud. You put up, a post on Facebook, you don't know what computer it's on. Mm. And it's probably on many computers. And you don't have to think about the computers. You can just call it the cloud. You put the post up on the cloud and people can read it from the cloud. Mm. Um, And the companies that run the cloud really didn't want to talk about who owns the data on the cloud. Mm. I don't really want you to think about that because you might get uncomfortable. You might not like the arrangement that they've set up as far as you put something on the cloud and it's theirs. Mm -hmm. Just a 100% belongs to them in every way, shape, and form. Um, Which is kind of odd. Kind of not what people think is going on when they put stuff on the cloud. And so Web 3 and Web 5 were created to address that. as one. That's one of the things they address, is that you could actually put something on the web and still own it. Mm. Any questions so, or anything? Yeah, yeah. So a lot, a lot, a lot of questions <laughs> went through my mind <laughs> while you were talking. So uh, Web 3.0, to my understanding right now, and I'm, I'm just, I just want clarification, all right? Um, just because this stuff is still new terminology to me. Web 3.0 is essentially Bitcoin right now, in a sense. It's decentralized. It's, it's, it's a cryptographic. It's it's stuff that most people aren't using on the common websites like Facebook, Instagram, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's to related sense. to Bitcoin. It's um, related to Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I'm how about a, cryptocurrency? It's more so cryptocurrency than Bitcoin yeah. itself, right? Yeah, it's okay. very much cryptocurrency. And the idea of Web three is that these cap capital ventures peeps. They develop their own company, their own cryptogra- uh, cryptocurrency, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they market it as, hey, this is completely decentralized, but we own this whole thing without telling you that we own this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Is that essentially what Web 3.0 is? At least based on what I'm receiving or, or getting from you. That, that's that, what I picked up. Yeah, in terms of, I mean, I'm critical of it. So okay. I try to be fair and try to give them uh their fair shake. So, you know, some of, I think there was a lot of people who would look at that and say, uh, no, that's overly critical. And actually, you know, you do own it. Like, um, you know, there's systems where, where 
your stuff can be taken from you if the entire community votes to take it from you. Okay. Um, but it's more of a democratic approach, right? It's like, you know, yeah, got to be a majority in, vote for you to get your stuff taken away. Yeah. In theory, okay. that uh, that's the idea behind some of them. Yeah. Okay. So, and there's a lot of experimentation. That's another thing is it's, it's very experimental and people are getting excited about the possibilities. Um, so, you know, it also, Web3 would also include things like NFTs, which we might have mentioned. Before, I was going to mention, so this is like NFT projects and yeah. like um, tokens and yeah, and, and video game stuff. projects, you know, yeah. sort of the idea of like, I buy a sword in a video game and I could take it to another video game. Like mm-hmm. maybe the sword exists on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And then different video games can sort of allow me to use that same sword within the game. Things okay. like that. Now, when you say Ethereum, you mean the Ethereum network, not the coin itself, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Ethereum coin is just a way to pay fees on the Ethereum network. Okay. But the, but Ethereum-, the Ethereum network was designed to do a lot of the, the Ethereum network was the first big response to, um, to the idea that Bitcoin is very narrow. Bitcoin is designed only to do digital gold and be money. Okay. And uh, there were all these ideas of, well, we could store data. We could, uh, I haven't mentioned smart contracts. It's the idea that, you know, on Ethereum, you can go in and specify like under these circumstances, this money will be moved over to this person or, under these other circumstances, it'll be moved to that person. And you could create these smart contracts where it sort of executes the contract automatically. Um, And that just opens up a lot of possibilities and people are interested in experimenting with those possibilities. Hmm. So that's essentially like a stop loss order in a stock account where if a stock price goes below a certain value, then they have authorization to sell your shares or something like that or buy you know, buy power, etc. Yeah, that's one. But it's in between two people, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, that's one possibility. Okay. I mean, there's there's uh, a lot of possibilities. Like, what if I own a digital sword, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, that can be used in video games. Mm-hmm. And then let's say, uh, if let's say I bet you that the the Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl, okay. and so we program it to look at a certain website on a certain day. And see whether the Steelers won the Super Bowl. And if they did, then the sword goes to me. Okay. So there's a variety of things that you could program it to do. Hmm. It's just smart contracts in general. And they try to give it as much capability as they can get so that people can be creative and come up with new ways to create smart contracts. Hmm. Now, uh, 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 this is totally off topic, but I'm thinking in terms of a gaming community. Say that you have a a sword that you can only use in the Ethereum network and it, and it works with several games, right? Mm-hmm. And you own it. And in a smart contract, you traded that sword for another item of value that you want with a friend so that they can use it in their game and accelerate their, their you know, you know, those types of games where it's like a pay to win type of games, right? So if there's something like that, couldn't people just abuse the smart contract system? Be like, okay, well, hey, I lost the game of rock, paper, scissors. So now I have to trade it with you today. Here's here's the new sword that you can use in this pay to play game. And now you are massively overleveled for your character or something like that. Would, would yep. that 
would that be like an abuse of the system and overload the whole network itself? If if a lot of gamers did that, where they're just like trading back and forth, they're like, oh yeah, I own this here. You can use it in this game, but I'm going to switch ownership to you. And then you just switch it back to me a week time from now. Um, it shouldn't overload. So the, uh, the hope is that it could handle all kinds of traffic and that people could just basically swap things around as much as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, in practice, you do run into issues where uh, where the network might actually get clogged up. And so there's different, uh, there's a lot of experimentations of how to deal with that. That's mm. the issue with that is called scaling. How do you make it scale to allow mm. tons and tons of transactions, you know? Okay. And so I can't see future NFT projects, you know, being able to, how do I say it? Not go through that loophole or something like that. Say that, you know, and I've heard like some theories where, you know, if you purchase the ticket at this concert on this day, five years from now, you can have a gala event where only people who purchase the ticket on that day can go. So say that the person goes into the gala event and then trades it immediately with their friend. And then their friend now has access to that gala ticket and shows it. Couldn't they also go in? I'm pretty sure there's going to be like a stop, uh, uh, a check and balance type of situation, but I'm just thinking outside the box right now. It's like, how, how do we break the system? (laughs) I'm trying to invert the whole system on its head. It's like, okay, if I was to have this, how would I break the system and and take advantage of it? So that uh, is (laughs) in a lot of ways, that is the, the best way to think about it. They call this adversarial thinking. Yeah. And the idea is we want to create systems that actually hold up to against, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I, I again, this is how I approach a lot of investments too is I turn it on its head and be like, okay, how can I make this company go bankrupt? And if I can't find an answer to that, then I'm going to invest uh, I'm going to invest more time to research this company, etc. For instance, right? And so I'm thinking of web 3.0 as this entity where, you know, privatization, yeah, it might be to a certain extent, but is there a way to turn it on its head? And I think that's where web, why Web5 was developed, going back to our topic at hand, which is Web5. Um, and so the idea of Web5, well, actually, before we even get to Web5, you know, Web3 is supposed to be privatizing your data. In, in essence, right? Decentralize the data and privatize your your name mm-hmm. to that data, yeah? So is a VPN network a Web3? Because VPNs are supposed to privatize or hide your data, isn't it? Or, or hide your internet activity or your network activity. I don't know what it is, but in essence, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Y- yes, a, a VPN is a useful tool mm-hmm. to go with uh, with privatizing your data. Okay. Um, it what a VPN does is help you remain private, sort of in transit. Okay. As your data is going around the internet. Okay. Um, and that but- existed sort of before Web three. But uh, the idea seems to be the same because you're still relying on this third party to hide your data. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're collecting your data, but they're not. 
they're masking your data under their own algorithm to hide your data, right? Yes. So, so I think the main difference would be that the VPN only sort of connects you in transit. Okay. It's like a tunnel to get you to where you're going. Okay. But if once you get there, um, there's questions about what is going to happen at the destination. Like if okay. you use a VPN to go to Facebook, then Facebook gets all the data that you're putting into Facebook, right? Okay. But VPN will keep people from uh, stealing it along the way. Ah. So even though you have a VPN active, but if you're on Facebook or YouTube, Facebook and YouTube still collects your data. They see your yep. name pop up versus a Web 3.0 is supposedly your name and data, even if you're on the site itself, is still hidden. Supposedly. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So why web five is web five. Just all of those put in one. Um, web five is essentially rethinking a, a, a few pieces of the internet in order to uh, facilitate the decentralization, the privacy, the censorship resistance, mm -hmm. uh, and sort of rethinking it from the ground up. And particularly not starting with the blockchain. Mm -hmm. With Web3, everyone looks at the blockchain and says, oh, that's so cool. What could we build on top of that? What could we stick the blockchain into to try and make it better? Mm -hmm. Web5 says, wait a minute. There's a lot of things that we could accomplish without touching the blockchain. We don't need a new blockchain. We don't need to put these things inside a blockchain. What we want to do is create a few critical building blocks mm -hmm. that would allow the internet to function in a better way with some of these things that the web three proponents want to accomplish. So one of the first building blocks is a decentralized identity, mm -hmm. um, which starts with cryptography. So with cryptography, you have a secret key, a private key, mm -hmm. uh, and you can use that to sign things and, you can create, you can use that as the core of a digital identity. Mm -hmm. So you could go to another, you could go to other entities and have them sign off on things about you. You could even have a government agency give you a sort of digital version of a driver's license that says like, here's your age, here's, you know, facts about you. Mm -hmm. And using cryptography, there's some interesting things where you could even, let's say you go to a bar and the person, uh, you know, wants to look at, wants to know whether you're old enough to come in. And so you can cryptographically prove that you are old enough without necessarily telling them your age or your birthday. You could just have it using the cryptographic proof that you got from the government. It could then say, yes, this person is over 21. And that's all you need to know. Um, that's assuming that the you know government is going to give you a cryptographic yeah. set of information, right? Yeah. And there's things that private companies could also prove. You could say, uh, you know, I took a class and I got this on the test at the end. And they could then, you know, sign that and give you sort of a digital certificate that you accomplished this thing. So these are just ideas as far as the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, so overall, that seems to be that you're 
at least in a way, even though you're hiding your data, but you're also making it more public by giving third parties, you know, a receipt of your transaction, right? Does that kind of make sense or? Um, it doesn't? Yes, they, so in these cases that we're talking about, the, the party that's signing off on things, they mm-hmm. would have to know stuff, you know? Yeah, so the, yeah, there's still going to be a, a paper trail, so to speak. So you're not completely yeah. hiding behind yes. your crypto cryptographic name. But it's there just, are uh-huh. there is a sense that you only have to trust them. So like if you look at your okay. birthday, for example, uh-huh. and all kinds of uh, personally identifiable information, there uh-huh. are companies all over the place that have all that information about you. Oh, yeah. There's probably a thousand companies that have your phone number and birthday and name mm-hmm. you know and people can use that and cause problems for you so mm-hmm. what if they could do all of their business without having to know any of that so but wouldn't they still have to get confirmation from that specific company that signed off say that you you're taking a certification course right and you're mm-hmm. you want to apply for a job that requires that certificate then the job places that you're applying to has to contact that third party source just to confirm that you indeed took it so not with uh so using cryptography they could sign off something one time Uh uh-huh and you could use that in the future and there's a thing called zero knowledge proofs Uh which allows them a person wanting to know the information could ask you for it in different ways uh-huh. and receive it in different ways. Okay. Um, so let's say, you know, let's say you took a test and you passed it and someone certified that uh, back in 2018, they give you the certification. Okay. Someone could go, you could go somewhere in, in 2022 mm-hmm. and someone asks you to prove that you passed the test, they just check against your digital ID, against things that are, against the signed piece of information that you could present to them without anyone having to go back and ask the original person because they already signed off on it. It's a little bit like having a digital certification. Like if they give you a diploma, you mm-hmm. can just bring the diploma and show it. But they, they have to ask you for a digital receipt somehow. Like they have to see it. And so wouldn't they yes. also see your cryptographic name and attach it to your... Uh, so <laughs> the reason why I'm going like this... Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the reason why I'm thinking like this is because the idea of you know the Web3 versus Web5 is complete anonymity uh, of your identification, at least to my understanding. So that there seems to be some kinks in, in, in the chain of activity if, if we were to hypotheticalize this all the way through. And so, again, I'm, I'm trying to think, how can I turn this whole system on top of its head? And so, anyways, <laughs> sorry. For yeah, I'm that. saying a lot of, <laughs> I'm just pointing out a lot of those kinks are dealt with via interesting cryptographic tricks, basically. Mm. Okay. Um, and an anonymity, you don't have to be fully anonymous. Okay. Um, that's the other thing is it gives you the option of disclosing information, ah. right? You could go somewhere. And they ask you for too much information and you can mm. say no, or you could say, you know what, in this case, I'm willing to disclose that. It makes it up to you rather than making it the default that everyone gets everything all the time. 
I mean, you're kind of already doing that by signing the accept uh, was the acceptance term whenever you download a software or you're you're playing a video game, you're registering for an account. You have to you know read through that twenty page, thirty page contract of agreements, right? So yeah, I mean that that <laughs> needs to go away. That's, yeah, that's I agree, the, but you know <laughs> that's that's what something we're trying to destroy, honestly. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that to me is, is that whole contractual agreement. So whether you accept or not, you know, they, they could easily do the same thing. It's like, well, if you don't accept these terms, we're not going to sell you our service. And so, yeah, that, that's how I could see Like companies are going to find loopholes to this whole uh, Web5 thing, especially if you're using it to get a job or download a, a, a game or something like that, you're going to have to accept these. Otherwise, they won't let you download it. Right. Or am I thinking so far fetched that it's not even applicable? Um, I would say it enables competition ah, that okay. uh, if one company is asking for too much, you have the choice of not disclosing that and you you may you could say okay well i don't get to use their product but if there's an alternative product that is not asking for that that is as good mm-hmm. you'll just use that one right well isn't that what today's market is like a lot of companies have that contractual agreement page and if you don't want to purchase the video game or register your name under the video game or do anything with the video game you don't have to buy it but sure, people, but people want to play it because it's the trendy thing, you know, like that cat game right now on PlayStation 5 or Steam, <laughs> you know. And so if people want to play it, they're going to accept the terms and conditions. Yeah. So one question is, who's not doing that? Who is who is actually marketing the fact that they don't do that? For, maybe Apple. Maybe. Uh, I don't uh, know. I mean, they, they have their own but... terms and conditions. So, yeah. So still, pretty much yeah. the answer is nobody. So what would what would make it change in the future? If no one's doing it today, then how would how would that change in the future? That's what I'm. Um, well, first off, you on. could you could market against that, and perhaps you could get more users by saying, "Look, we don't have this license agreement. Here's the license agreement. It's two sentences, you know, or something mm. like that, where you can literally you could read it, you know." Why it's don't they? Possible that you would read. Well, that's um, the thing. Then why don't they do that today? I mean, if some companies, I mean, if this is the way things are going and people are wanting to hide their data, that their anonymity, they don't want the corporation to sell their content. Then why don't companies like newer, you know, game studio companies or newer uh, social media platforms just say, "Hey, here's the terms and condition. It's super simple. It's super easy. Uh, go on our platform instead of you know Instagram and TikTok, right?" Why, why don't they do that today to capture that audience now and then build their portfolio or build their user base in the future when Web5 becomes a normalized thing? Um, for starters, they, they don't have a way to prove to you that they're not doing that. Ah, okay. Um, and I mean, I guess that would be the kernel. That would be one of the key issues of Web5. There's ah, another issue okay. where the business model of sucking up everyone's data mm-hmm. is starting to decline mm-hmm. i think it seems like we're moving into an era where a lot of companies are having a harder and harder time just making money by vacuuming up people's data mm-hmm. and so a lot of companies are beginning to look 
for other options <clears throat> such as uh things that are like subscription based like mm-hmm. you pay for netflix netflix is not free and then they just suck up data and and try to you know get you to buy things you just pay for netflix and then you get it well and, aren't, aren't they starting to incorporate ads inside their movies now yeah yeah there is that <laughs> that's why we're not going to netflix anymore i mean that was happening before netflix but yeah that was that's just part of i think that's the that's yeah. part of the whole watching anything system these days mm-hmm. is that you have to advertise things inside of the thing yes okay interesting okay so going back to what five sorry for a whole tangent right there um but it's a very interesting topic and i'm just I'm just very curious on the psychology of the current paradigm of companies going the privatization route in in the Web5 development. And since we're seeing a bigger communication talk about Web5, I I would assume that companies want to be at the forefront of this movement. And if they are the forefront of this movement, they're going to potentially benefit from this, especially if this is a common trend. So why not build that branding today? rather than wait until it becomes a trend and then start building the branding. So that, again, it might not be profitable for them in, in the current time, but uh, that's something to, that I have a question on and it's probably won't be answered for another couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. Anyways, going back to Web5. So the idea of Web5 is what again? <laughs> so it's essentially <laughs> a lot of the things that people want from Web3. Uh-huh. Um, the the web three companies have been going about it in a way that's not going to work okay um that's essentially the idea behind web five is let's we can do this the right way and it's essentially focused on securing your personal data and keeping it private and allowing you to hold your data Mm. and it's only yours and you can uh you can hand specific pieces of data to different things as you see fit and they basically anyone who needs your data anyone who asks for your data is going to have to explain to you why they need it you know okay so as in in essence private companies are trying to develop a web5 construct I, I think that's the more correct term construct where if you were to put your information into this database with a cryptographic identification it's going to be embedded in its crypto network right it's blockchain Mm -hmm. network and it's like a government issued id in essence where you can go around and it's universally accepted to all these various companies or platforms or transactions wherever you want to do it it's universally accepted and be like hey i i for instance i'm just going to make up a hypothetical the company that does a web five, right? For instance, it is a mouse incorporate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And on, on in my application, I have mouse incorporate, I click mouse incorporate, and it shows up my cryptographic uh, identification. And I want to go to like a bar, for instance, and say that I want to purchase a, a drink. And the bartender is asking me for my identification. I'll be like, well, here's my mouse incorporate. Uh, you can scan it right here. It'll show that I am indeed of valid age. So they scan it, up pops a green check mark, for instance, in, in the bartender. And the bartender's like, okay, well, it seems everything's checked out. Here's your 
here's your drink. That's an, in essence what Web5 is trying to become like, like a government issued ID, but instead of a government issued, it's private corporation. Um, the government issued was just an example. It could be okay. Um, the government, it could be a private corporation. Um, mm-hmm. And the what these the government or the corporation is doing is just signing off on things and verifying things, Mm -hmm. things like you took a test or your age or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So the question uh, I had was for web five and it it, just another hypothetical situation. If we had a mouse incorporate, that's a hypothetical company and you had, all your information there, but when you go to apply a job and they ask for age, years of experience in the field, as well as educational background, then when you scan your account, you know, you either it's a card or an application, they scan it, then it will be only those answers that will be shown, nothing else. Right? Yeah. So in the environment like today where you know, there's a lot of discrepancy between uh, hiring, you know, senior senior people versus college graduates, right? Where age might be an issue, they might, you know, just axe out the age part and just do experience. So that's an even playing field. I, I think that's what it's supposed to gear towards now, at least with the Web5. I can see how that can be applied in hiring nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so that's essentially what Web5 is, basically, where it's a more better way. How is it better? It's still in the process of developing, but it's better than Web3. Yeah, it's it's a way of rebuilding these things. And it is kind of a technical Mm -hmm. thing so far. Uh, It'll make probably more sense once some products start coming out. Mm. But um, it is a way of rebuilding a lot of the things on the internet from the bottom up with the intention of actually preserving people's privacy and preserving their data. Interesting. And would this, would this also be bringing in Bitcoin into a Web5 platform or is Bitcoin totally separated from the Web5 network? Um, Bitcoin could be considered one of the tools. Okay. So a lot of the ideas in Web3 is based on incentivizing activities with tokens. Um, okay. You know, you could use Ethereum and, and get some Ethereum tokens. You could, if you're using the Steam network that we mentioned earlier, uh, mm-hmm. you could get Steam tokens. Mm-hmm. And part of the Web5 attitude is to look at that and say, why not just use Bitcoin? If we already have a sort of online money that's working, we should use that. Just like if you mm-hmm. start, if you open a shoe store, you don't create your own shoe store bucks, mm. only accept those shoe store bucks. You would, in most cases, you would want to accept dollars. You would want to accept the money that everybody else is using. Mm. So for a lot of these applications, for Web5, the is let's just use bitcoin if we're trying to if you're trying to what i'm sorry create financial incentives mm. okay well i can see that so hmm. a lot to think about but a lot of application that i could potentially see in the very far future uh with this web5 and the idea that we're going more to a digital 
uh, digitized metaverse type of world. I know I'm throwing in metaverse. We never talked about metaverse today, <laughs> but I, I'm thinking of different applications that could be applied to there. So that's another episode. We could might be able to talk about that later. Um, sorry for dropping, dropping that term right away. <laughs> no worries. We did talk about it in yeah. a previous uh, episode, in one yes, of our earliest did. ones. Yes, yes, we did. And if you guys haven't seen that or listened to that, please go take a look. I believe that was episode one, our very first episode that we talked about the metaverse. Uh, and it was a really interesting topic, but I think we're going to wrap it here for today. What do you say, Sean? Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. So thank you everyone so much for listening in or watching this, if this is on YouTube. Um, and thank you guys so much for just staying tuned, uh, and liking some of the content. So this really, really, uh, does help us out and, uh, we're, we're really happy to see that. So, but anyways, until next time. Please don't trade a dollar for a penny. Right, Sean? Right. Awesome. Take care, everyone.